Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Felix Weekly News Roundup. We've got some really interesting stories to discuss, including developments in the college's COVID response, controversy in the gaming world, and the new COVID vaccine. On the program today, we have Felix Editor-in-Chief, Callum. Hello. We have Ahmad, who's our gaming editor. Hello. We have, of course, Julia, our science editor. Hi. And we have Ange, our other science editor. Hello. So to start off with, I want to talk to you, Callum. This week... In news, we have the this news that's come up that the college has extended a COVID support fund for students. Can you tell me a little bit about what that fund is and what that means for students? Yes. So the uh, Student Hardship Fund, formerly known as the Student Support Fund, was set up in 2016 to provide financial assistance to students going through periods of financial instability. Now, this could be a loss of earnings, a loss of family support, a loss of external scholarship funding uh, or visa extension costs. And, and the college is, is quite open to uh, accepting other, other reasons for financial instability. The news, however, this week is that the college has extended this fund using funds taken from the COVID-19 response fund uh, to extend the additional support that they're providing to students. And this is, extension is going on for another six months and aims to provide provide a similar level of support. So as up to now, 60 students have been provided with uh, around £70,000. Um, so average amount being given out of around £1,200 in one-off payments of either low interest-free loans or grants. So you're talking about this um, COVID-19 response fund. So, so that is the fund that is funding the student support fund. And where does all this money come from, basically? Yes, so that the, there are a number of different sources for this money. The student hardship fund can be donated to directly. So we've the reason for this extension is that since June, over 280 donors have provided um, money. But this isn't enough on its own. So another source of the money is the COVID-19 response fund, which has gained a lot more donors and is a general pool that donors can give money to, and then it will be dished out um, both for student hardship causes and to fund research. And you know, the the, the college itself has donated a million has contributed a million pounds to this from the President's Excellence Fund, which is a fund that usually gives money for basic research and. There's also been a one-off payment of over £600,000. So there's a lot of money gained here. However, we ran the numbers on this, and actually it seems like only about 3% of this money in the COVID-19 response fund is actually going towards student support. Uh, so it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of cheeky advertising. Yeah. I yeah, definitely. And I mean, obviously... Yeah, it is difficult because you know we, it's not always clear where the money is coming from and where it's going to. Um, you talk a lot about students and the issues that they face. Lots of staff at Imperial also have been facing issues. Is there any kind of fund that Imperial is proposing to staff who've been affected by COVID-19? Yes, yeah, so, so staff are also able to apply for financial aid. And this is funded by voluntary reductions in the salaries of uh, Alice Gast, the president, Ian Wormsley, the provost, and other senior members of college staff. The student staff can also apply for similar reasons to uh, to students. But I, I think it raises an interesting question of why they are 
creating this fund to provide money to staff when maybe uh, the better thing to have done would be to provide more financial stability in the form of increased wages. There are yeah. also a number of other ways that students can access money, though I think I should add, in that there is a, a dedicated laptop fund that students can apply to or one-off grants to buy laptops that help them uh, study remotely. Definitely. I mean, it's true that COVID has affected many students in a bad way, but some students who have financial difficulties, this has really affected them really, really badly in the college. It's good that they're taking some kind of response to it. Also, staff as well can access these kind of funds. Thank you so much, Callum, for talking to us about that. I'm sure in the coming weeks, I mean, this fund has been extended for six more months, and maybe it could go beyond that as COVID continues. So if there are any students listening who, who have any issues, I'm sure they could try and look into this fund. Yes, I, could, I should add that the way to, the way to access this is uh, on the Imperial website. If they they search financial assistance, they can find uh, links to, to apply. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Khan, for talking to us about that. So next on, um, if I can just bring Ahmed in. Hello, Ahmed, man. nice to see you. So um, you're um, all in this kind of gaming world, which I know very little about. So this is going to be very interesting to go through. Um, so you wrote a little bit, a couple articles now about something called loot boxes and also about streamers. So for me, loot boxes and streamers does not mean anything. So can you tell me a little bit about what are streamers, what are loot boxes, and what is the controversy surrounding loot boxes right now? Yes. Yeah, so this over the last two weeks, I've written about uh, loot boxes, and I wrote about a company called Electronic Arts who make a very popular game called FIFA. And they incorporated a gaming design called loot boxes where players purchase credits to pay for these uh, loot boxes, and in return, they get these player items. The controversy that they've actually has been uh, surrounding these loot boxes over the past uh, year, years or so is the fact that um, these gamers will spend a lot of money on these loot boxes in order to gain these good items, high-rated items, in order to improve their progress in the game. And there's also been a bit uh, a controversy between the loot boxes and streamers because streamers also spend a lot of money purchasing these loot boxes and gamers might also feel the same to do so and it's caused quite a lot of controversy in the gaming world okay so this it doesn't make sense to me a loot box is something that you pay a certain amount of money for and then you get a randomized item and that item could be some kind of amazing thing or it could be something not maybe that amazing and it's, it's a little bit of a, a random thing now i know there's something that people have been saying and i don't know what you think about this so this is kind of a form of, of gambling do you how do you compare this to kind of normal forms of gambling being able to pay for something and getting a random item out yeah Yes, yeah, so the point. Yes, yeah, so the problem with loot boxes as well is um, is it's it's random. You don't know what you're getting. You might get a very high rate of play, which is quite rare. But more often than not, you don't get the value for the money that you want. It's a bit like a casino machine. When you pull the lead, when you put in a, some credit and you pull the lever, you get something out in return. You don't know what you're getting out in return. It's probability based. It's the same thing with loot boxes. Quite a lot of the time, you're spending money and you're not getting your value's worth. And it's effect. And it means that a lot of gamers and children as well who are who are addicted to these loot boxes will cause a lot of bankruptcy and will spend a lot of money. So it is a form of gambling because of the addiction that it creates within gamers and kids. Definitely. I mean, obviously, gambling is a big issue. But when you put gambling in the hands of, you know, maybe 10 year old, 15 year old kids, then that can make a huge issue. Also, loot boxes, I know, are quite a big form of revenue for these companies. Do you know how much they get from loot boxes or how big is this issue right now? Yes, there was a recent article from uh, European Gaming, which said that for the quarter that was ending in the 31st of December 2019, EA made £2.835 billion 
pounds, a billion dollars in uh, microtransaction, which is basically the idea of people spending money to purchase these loot boxes. And the controversy as well has been that because streamers promote these loot boxes at certain times of the year when the game has a holding a specific event, the fact that um, people are also spending money to buy these loot boxes and trying their own luck out means that the publishers get more money, but it's also more controversial because it creates that addiction and it feeds mm -hmm, yeah. the player interest. Definitely. I mean, streamers, you know, are kind of people that you can watch and maybe you look up to them and you want to be like them. But, you know, you don't know the fact that they're probably spending about $10,000 during a specific session to get all these loot boxes yeah. and get these amazing players, which, you know, every kid cannot always do that. Now, this is definitely a huge issue and definitely you talking about it is probably going to alarm a lot of people. Is there anything being done, any legislation, anything that people can do to try and reduce this issue? Yes, so uh, there's a lot of legislations coming out in recent years from authorities in different countries. The big, biggest one at the minute is the uh, Dutch authorities. So their gaming authority actually considered uh, the EA's loot boxes to be a form of gambling. And they fined EA up to 10 million uh, euros for their gambling practices because they weren't registered as a gambling uh, enterprise, so to speak. Can, the Canadian authorities have also uh, set up their own uh, lawsuit against EA for the same reasons. And there's also other states that are considering trying to uh, trying to sue EA for their gambling practice only in the UK as well. The um, company was actually ordered to come into parliament to describe how their loot boxes work. And they received a lot of controversy for comparing it to Kinder Eggs, the pro which I've mentioned in my article as well. The problem with Kinder Eggs, of course, is that you know that you're getting chocolate as part of your product. And you do get a toy as well, which is kind of random. You don't know. But the point is, you are getting the chocolate. If you compare it to EA's loot boxes, you don't even know if you're getting the chocolate. You don't even know what you're getting. And that's the problem that is created. And players will often try and spend a lot more and more money to try and maximize their chances when even though the probability is against them. And it's becoming a very big issue over the past few weeks. Mm -hmm, definitely. I mean, I know obviously this is the gaming industry is, is growing massively and loot boxes are something that are quite new. And so definitely there is, you know, the argument that legislation has to come in when new things happen in the gaming industry. And maybe that will happen. That will happen very, very soon. Thank you so much, Ahmad, for talking to us about no that. Problem. Next up, if I can have Julia. Hi. Yeah. Hi. I hope you're doing well. So this week, some good news. I mean, COVID-wise, not always good news. Well, almost never we get good news. But this week we got a bit of good news. Possibly an end to this pandemic, possibly the return to normality in the form of a vaccine. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So basically, as probably everyone will have heard, um, this past Monday, um, a coronavirus vaccine produced by Pfizer and BioNTech, they have result, um, sorry, announced some preliminary results from phase three trials, which are trials conducted on thousands of people, the final stage before a vaccine is approved. And these trials, they announced 90% efficacy, which is significantly higher than was expected. And so, as you can imagine, um, that resulted in widespread joy, essentially, among scientists and everyone around the world, because it essentially is the first hope of a vaccine that we've had. And it's been such a long nine months that everyone's just been waiting to see how that pans out. So. Although these are preliminary results, I think it is a very hopeful moment in the coronavirus uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, this vaccine was tested on about, I think, 43,000 people, and it was found to have a efficacy of 90%. Now, to be accepted by regulators, as you said, there has to be about 50%. So this is really, really excited. Unfortunately, there are some issues with this vaccine. So can you tell me what are the problems with this vaccine? Is why And why is this vaccine not going to necessarily be the end to this pandemic? 
Right, so yeah, so even though it was the first vaccine with these results, um, the problem is that some vaccines need to have a kind of cold chain, so both for transport and for storage, the Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored at minus 80 degrees Celsius, which is um, extremely low in that many low-income countries do not possess the storage or transport capabilities for this. So currently the United Nations um, are having some efforts to kind of enable low-income countries to also access this vaccine, but it's quite difficult. Whereas in comparison, some competitive vaccines, such as the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, if successful, it only needs to be stored at minus four degrees. So that's significantly easier, of course, for um, logistic purposes. Yeah, definitely. And even the Imperial one, which is also an mRNA vaccine, which is the similar technology to the one using this vaccine, um, they haven't, I mean, they, they're not at the same stage of clinical trials, but they have shown much better stability. So possibly that could be one of the long-term solutions that Imperial could have, you know, the vaccine which solves the pandemic. Hopefully, maybe, obviously, we don't know. Now, do you think that this vaccine, do you think it will actually be viable? Do you think people will be receiving this vaccine in the next few months? And who do you think the people will be who will get the first shots of this vaccine? So um, because of the issues of manufacture and supply, the WHO predicts that widespread vaccination will not occur until the middle of 2021. However, um, multiple, I think around 50 million doses or so, uh, aim to be produced by the end of 2020. So they're planning to kind of roll it out gradually, starting depending on the country. Each country will have its own kind of distribution system. But for example, the UK is planning to roll it out to care home workers and residents, as well as frontline health staff first. That's due to start actually at the end of 2020, once the vaccine goes through some final approval. So as a result, even though the average person will not be vaccinated in the next couple months, I think that the fact that frontline workers and a section of the population will be vaccinated will in turn kind of enable a slow yet kind of happening um, return to normalcy. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, we, obviously, we everyone is hoping that, that the whole population can be vaccinated. But even if there is the, the vulnerable people are, are vaccinated, the healthcare workers are vaccinated, then there can be a possibility of reopening the rest of the country. Obviously, now we're in a second lockdown. There could be even a third lockdown before everyone's vaccinated. But this vaccine definitely is showing some some really great steps forward. Thank you so much for that, Julia. And I'm really hoping that we'll have you on very soon to give us some more good news about some vaccines. Next one, I don't know if Anches can come on. There we go, and I may bring in actually bring in Julia again, and also you can maybe bring in Callum. Another little piece of massive news that's happened. I mean, depending who you believe and who you don't believe, that Joe Biden has won the U.S. presidential election. We hadn't talked about this yet. I mean, not because we are a Trump supporter and that we believe that he hasn't won, um, just because we hadn't gone around to it. But um, we want to talk a little bit about the fact that Joe Biden has won, and the fact that you know, obviously, in the past, Trump took maybe kind of a a looser view on science and scientific facts, and now that we're going back to Joe Biden, how will his policies that are very much affected by science, maybe COVID or climate change, how will those be affected um, by the fact that now Joe Biden is going to be in January in power? So starting off with COVID, Anch, what do you think will be a difference that the, the approach that Joe Biden will take with COVID and what are some policies you think he might be putting in place? Yeah, so um, I think it's obvious that um, Trump has... I mean, the facts speak for themselves. America has been suffering particularly bad in terms of the death rate, in terms of infection rates, in terms of the effect on their economy. Um, and it's it really shouldn't have been in that place. It's considered to be, I mean, by GDP is the, you know, the richest country in the world. And there are countries like Vietnam who considered in the global south, they've dealt with the uh, virus so much better than America has. 
So in, in that respect, Trump has been uniquely unhelpful for their response. He's been promoting conspiracy theories. At one point he said American people should inject bleach into their arms and that will mm-hmm. help protect against coronavirus. So it's truly been ridiculous. And the what Joe Biden brings is, you know, someone who does actually believe in the science, who does believe there is a virus. So that is already a positive step. In terms of, you know, what he can do, when he comes in on January 20th, until then, there's the American people will have to keep on uh, with Trump as the president. And they're not even, the Trump team isn't even sharing information with the Biden team. So in terms of preparation, it's going to be quite, it's going to be tough. There's not going to be a gradual transition period. And mm-hmm. when he comes in, he's going to have to kind of get his plans in place quickly because he won't have this time to prepare because Trump's not working with him. So one thing he has said is that the vaccine should be free for all Americans, which is positive step. That's obviously what it should be. And yeah, if they manage to figure out a quick vaccination rollout program, that would obviously have a massive impact on the, the pandemic. But it all depends on the... You know, whether this Pfizer vaccine will affect transmission, because we're unclear about that, um, and also about if there will be any other vaccines that will be released by then. I think, though, it's important to uh, to remember that actually the US is still quite a different country, and we shouldn't expect huge European-style national lockdowns. I know that the former US Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, was on US television um, saying that there is not going to be a national lockdown. And if we look at the US death rate, it's quite interesting. The the peaks of cases are, you know, we see three rising steps, but on cases and the the death rate is is falling though. So you you see three falling numbers. So actually the US might benefit somewhat or, you know, tragically, they've, they've killed off all the vulnerable people and are, are able to maybe recover a little faster than uh, Europe, who, who kept that those vulnerable people alive and will continue to see a slow endemic death rate as opposed to maybe the, the harsher U.S. style. Yeah, I mean, it has to be said that, that the U.S., one thing about it is it's a much bigger country and the, the outbreaks there have seemed to be like the first wave really was focused around maybe the coast. We had a second wave that happened kind of in the Midwest. Now it does seem that there's been a national, there's a more of a national second wave happening. Now you're right that the U.S. is never going to have probably a European style lockdown. Now, one thing that Joe Biden said that he would do, which is quite a big deal for Americans, is bring in some kind of mask mandate basically in trying to in some ways enforce mask wearing because that has been a big bone of contention among Americans all over, you know, that it's their right not to wear a mask, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see maybe if he does bring that in. Um, and Ant is right to say that, you know, the transition isn't probably going to be that smooth because of what Trump is doing. So that might hinder some of the fast actions that can be taken towards COVID. Yes, you, you, do, have to, you do have to hope that uh, the US, as, as Anchi said, one of the most developed countries, can get this cold chain right and is in one of the best positions to, to take advantage of recent advances. Yeah, I think that also um, something that Joe Biden's promised is commencing a new coronavirus task force. So I think that's, um, although he's obviously currently not active president until January, the fact that he's already preparing a coronavirus task force, I guess, might be quite helpful in that he's kind of setting himself up to kind of start the, um, start like action against it once he actually 
um, is inaugurated as president. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that he's already setting up the task force. It's, he's already showing that he's taking this very seriously, something that Trump was always trying to play down the, the, the virus. Also, there's something to be said about, you know, how in the UK there was a lot of talk about the messaging and what the government was saying and kind of the, the rhetoric which was being said, maybe kind of playing down the vaccine in some cases. And in the US with Trump, we also play down the vaccine that can also influence how people behave. Now that Biden's coming in, much stronger language might be used and people might start taking it a lot more seriously. Now, moving on to the other pandemic that's um, going across the earth, which is climate change. I mean, some massive thing that might happen is to do with the Paris um, climate agreement. Um, and do you know anything about what Biden might do very quickly towards climate change for the US? Yeah, so um, the Trump administration pulled the US out of the Paris Agreement. I think it came into effect just a week ago or two weeks ago, so very recently. But Biden has said he will, uh, once he's in, he's going to, you know, make the US rejoin the Paris Agreement. Uh, the issue here is that that is not enough. The Paris Agreement is it's not a binding agreement. It's like a set of targets that countries agree to, and it doesn't mean that they have to do anything to meet those targets. So what is more important is um, what they, you know, the, the plan that he has, actually has. And that's, the details of that is what are, are unclear right now. He said he's gonna invest a lot of money, uh, which is a positive, um, but like vice, his vice president, Kamala Harris, she said a few weeks ago that he's not gonna ban fracking. And we do need to stop fracking because that is, you know, with the methane, especially natural gas, it contributes a lot of, uh, it's a very potent greenhouse gas. So. There are still questions remaining around it. And something else, and I maybe come, or maybe Ange, or Julia, maybe you can comment on this. You know, we're talking about Biden as if he can do everything he wants when he comes into power, but there is a possibility that he won't have control over all parts of government, so he won't maybe be able to get everything he wants through. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes. So the, the uh, I think the, the, flashy, the flashy headline is obviously Trump faces not being president after January the 20th. The less noticed point is the failure of Democrats, down ballot Democrats, the so-called of uh, House seats and Senate seats. And as it stands, it, Biden might come into office not holding um, control over the legislature. So even though the Democrats kept their majority in the House of Representatives, the control of the Senate will come down to, to two Georgia runoff elections that mm. will also be done in January. So it remains to be seen whether these big darlings of Democrat think tanks, you know, things like Medicare for All, Green New Deal, big infrastructure spending, whether they will be able to, to be implemented in the face of very, stark, um, very strong resistance from a, an, a, a renewed interest among Republicans for budgetary um, restraint. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, thank you guys so much for that discussion there. And definitely Biden became president, obviously, is, is a massive news. And we'll see how his policy develops over the next few months. And when he comes into power, we'll really see what he will do for America in terms of COVID and in terms of climate change. Just want to say thank you again, Callum, Julia, and Anch for that discussion. Also, thank you, Ahmad, not in right now, but Ahmad for the little thing about gaming and loot boxes. Thank you, everyone, for watching. This has been the Felix Weekly News Roundup. Join us next week for more 
Felix Weekly News. You can read more articles online at felixonline.co.uk. Also follow our Facebook page for more updates and also our Twitter, Instagram, everything else. Thank you guys so much. See you again next week, same time.